0: I ask you to go with me in the Word of the Lord tonight to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. I want to read one verse there, verse 15, Mark 16 and 15, a very simple and straightforward uh, verse of Scripture. And uh, what I have tonight is not rocket science, but I felt it very strong on my spirit. And it uh, just intensified throughout the week. And I felt the need to talk about this. And it just so happens that it's this week preceding Easter. And uh, I want you to take it to heart. These are the words of Jesus. And he said it to them Go ye into all, everybody say all, all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. And of course, there's a lot of powerful. Uh, verses that follow here and uh, tells us how that we're not going alone basically uh, that we're going in the power and the might and the anointing of the Lord and that He does not ask us to do anything that He does not give us what it takes to be successful at it and uh, isn't that comforting that God will never call you to do anything or expect you to do anything that would not enable you in it and so uh this that we're asked to do is probably the primary thing when it comes to our walk with God and Christian experience. This is probably the most primary thing, and yet it's often overlooked, and we're going to talk about that tonight. There's similar texts that could be compared to this one in uh, Matthew, the 28th chapter, also Luke, chapter 24, gives us similar uh, text like this, uh, talking about, Uh, These very things that the Lord instructed his followers in before his ascension, before his departure from this earth. Basically, he was laying it in their hands. He was giving it to them to do. This is your responsibility. I've been with you for this time, but this is what I want you to do. And I want you to continue on and build my church. And uh, if you'll do this, I will be with you. And you know the miraculous thing was is when they set out to do this all of their needs were met. Everything that they uh, had as far as a earthly need was taken care of as they took care of the business of the kingdom. And so if you're called to do kingdom work you don't have to worry that God isn't, you know, I can't do this or I can't do that because I'm worried that, uh, you know, my needs will not be met. If you'll Live for God and serve the Lord and give time to Him. It will not be time wasted, but God will take care of you and meet your needs. And that's a wonderful promise, isn't it? So let's let's pray right now that the Lord would help us in the remainder of this service and be with us and bless us here tonight. Jesus, I thank you, God, so very much for your spirit that we feel, the anointing of the Holy Ghost that is already here. Your Word is anointed, I pray, God that we could be anointed to receive the Word. We could be anointed uh, and receptive in our hearts to what you want to do here tonight. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. I can't think of anything dear to your heart than the salvation of souls and people of this world that need you. And I pray, God, that you would move upon us tonight to fulfill your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I want to use just one word as a subject, and that is the word commissioned, commissioned. And um, commission means to uh, be authorized to produce or to build something. For instance, we use this term a lot uh, concerning artists. An artist is commissioned to produce a piece of art, maybe has a reputation of of painting or sculpting or whatever it may be. And um, because someone's seen their previous work and liked it and thought that they would have the capability of producing something uh, that they would want, they would commission them to perhaps paint a picture. And uh, not so much nowadays, but in times past, people certainly were commissioned to sculpt or even to uh, help in the architecture of certain buildings. Uh, just this week we were reminded of some of that with the uh, burning of the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. And uh, people talked about how intricate the ceiling and all the wood structure was there. And then, of course, all the various things that were housed inside the famous uh, pieces of art that were housed inside this cathedral. And there's other places quite like this that we could discuss. But artists uh, are commissioned a lot of times uh, to paint or to sculpt or to produce something of art that would be to the specifications of the person that has commissioned them. They, they don't have the ability to just go out here and freelance on their own Uh, But if they're commissioned, then there's a certain thing and there's details that they need to follow in order to fulfill this commission. And I can prove to you through the word of God that every one of us that have been born again of water and spirit, every one of us that are children of God have been commissioned, commissioned as a child of God to build God's church to duplicate ourselves. And uh, so I want to talk about this concept a little bit here tonight. Jesus said in our text, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so we understand just by that text alone, and there's many other uh, scriptures that we could use to support this, but we understand But just the reading of that text that the gospel is Inclusive that the gospel is not just for a certain group. It's not an exclusive gospel. It's not just for a certain group of people. Uh, It's not for a certain age group, a certain social standing, a certain race, certain color, certain culture, any of that. But it's for any and all that are hungry to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. They can receive it. And it's God's intent that they have an opportunity to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is uh, this text that I read to you, and the others that I referred to, is uh, often referred to as the Great Commission. But sadly, this is probably one of the most omitted things, as far as in the church world today, and this is this is seemingly. Uh, Something that is overlooked and not talked about a whole lot. Because, just to be frank with you, it makes us uncomfortable uh, to understand that we have such a great responsibility. And that the Lord expects us to be involved in bringing in a harvest of souls. God expects us to be involved in the building up of the kingdom of God. There's more to it than us just being saved. But we're each one saved for a purpose. We're saved for a reason. As long as we're here on this earth, of course, our soul has been saved eternally. Uh, we, we, we hope to live with Jesus throughout all of eternity. But while we're still here on this earth, we have a work to do. And there's a will of God that is involved with that. There's something that He has commissioned us to do, And so uh, a lot of times we, we see that people are, are in, in, in the church, become selfishly uh, consumed with just what they desire out of it. Just their own salvation and, and just trying to maintain that and keep up with that. And uh, then just what church can give to them. And we have fallen into the deadly trap of becoming consumers instead of contributors to the kingdom of God. And this is a big debate in Christianity today because for the last several years, the last couple of decades really particularly, uh, it seems that churches have become more consumer conscious in their approach. And so there's been a, a people that has awakened to the fact that this is not good and they begin to talk about it and make people aware of it and teach against consumerism when it comes to uh, the church and to the things of God and not having the attitude of just what I can get out of it uh, and just about me. And this is only what I'm concerned with is my wants and my desires. Uh, a good example of this is when uh, people have the attitude when they coming to the church of saying, well, I wonder what programs they have here that fit my needs for my family and what I can receive, instead of saying, what could I add to the church? What could I bring to the table? What could I do uh, to get involved in the will of God and making this a better place, a greater place? Hallelujah. That's, That's the attitude we ought to bring when we come to the house of God, is what could I add to the church service? What could I contribute when I come to the house of God? Not what do they have to offer or what does, what does the church have that I can receive, but what can I give? Amen. And so you see uh, more and more this consumerism idea and concept taking over people's lives. You know, I want a sermon that's 20 minutes long. And so therefore we've got clocks on the back wall and... and uh, People are instructed, you got this amount of time and you got this amount of time and don't go a second over this amount of time. And there's no room for God. God could not break in if he wanted to. And and I realize that we've got to do things in decency and in order. And I'm not just for having long church to have long church, but I'm for staying connected to the Spirit as long as the Spirit wants us to. I'm for staying in the flow of the Holy Ghost. I'm for allowing the Holy Ghost to minister and operate as it will, and me yielding to it, not me trying to put it in a box. And you cannot always schedule the Spirit of God. Sometimes, as we have learned through our revival, and and we've been talking about here, you've got to wait on the Spirit. You've got to be patient uh, in order to receive something from the Spirit. It doesn't always just happen in a moment or to your liking. And uh, sometimes God allows us to pray through some things or maybe put aside some things or surrender some things on the altar before the Spirit of God is able to be activated in our lives like it needs to be. And uh, that that has to happen. We can't get away from that. There's no way to shortcut that or short-circuit that or get around it. There's no way that you can... can, uh, uh, say, well, uh, you know, if it doesn't happen just in my timing and the way that I think it ought to, then uh, we'll, we'll just move on. If you do, you're going to miss, you're going to miss the main thing and what it is that God wants to do. I believe there's a will of God, a specific will of God for every church service that we come into. Amen. If there's not, we're wasting our time. and And it's not about what we can plan. It's about what we can get into his plan and his His flow of things. And then as our plans become his, then we can see the will of God performed in our life and his purpose fulfilled and the work of God done. Can you say praise the Lord? And, and so uh I don't want to have a consumer mentality. You know, everything has to be just right. And... uh come in, everything has to be built just for my comfort and just for my wants and, and my desires. And, uh, you know, there's a certain brand of things that I want. There's a certain song that I want sung, and type of music that I like. Well, you know, uh, in a church where there's old and young and, and new converts and old converts, there's, there's going to be these things to grapple with. And, uh, we have to realize that there's, there's music for the young and there's music for the old. And, uh, you know, as much as you might like bluegrass, young folks don't get a lot out of it. I'm not getting a lot of amens in here because there's a lot of older folks in here tonight. But, you know, as much as you may enjoy banjo, uh, the old, the old folks enjoy that. The young folks don't, don't appreciate it nearly as much. And, uh. You, you may enjoy those things, but we have to recognize that it's not all just about me. Amen? And the young folks have to have the same attitude. That it's not, you know, every once in a while we're going to sing some, some songs that you may not remember. Or maybe you've never heard out of the hymn book. Uh, we do that occasionally. And we sing these songs. Why? Because they're important. Many of them have doctrine in them that I don't want to, to fail to sing about and to talk about. And they're good songs and there's something about them and the heritage of it that we need to keep. Does anybody understand where I'm coming from here tonight? And so this is, this is a part of it. And so we have to stay open and receptive and, and realize that this is part of fulfilling the work of God. And in the kingdom of God, it's like it flips our idea of things and how we have been raised, and especially in our culture here in America, to think about things. The kingdom of God isn't based on getting. The kingdom of God is based on giving. And when we give in the kingdom of God, we receive everything that we have need of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This concept is counterintuitive to our culture where everything is a zero-sum game. You know, it's just all about me. It's all about my wants and my desires. And that's the way a lot of people are brought up to view life as I'm going to elbow my way through instead of preferring someone else. And I'm going to get what I desire. But the kingdom of God, the only way to receive is to give. And Jesus taught this concept in Matthew 16, 25. He said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. If you're trying to preserve yourself, if you're trying to hold everything in, you're going to lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Amen. There's something about laying your will down and your desires down and coming in alignment with God's will and being a giver and someone. And I'm not just talking about monetary things. I'm not just talking about uh, contributing in the altar. And, and that is a part of it. But I'm talking about what we contribute as far as time and energy and, and our wherewithal as far as the church is concerned. Somebody says, well, when I get to a certain point in life, then I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to spend more time giving uh, to God. I'm I'm going to to work hard to get to a certain place and fulfill certain things in my life. And then I'm really going going to have some time to really give my life and dedicate myself to God. You know what? You may not have that opportunity. First of all, I believe we're living in the last days. Second of all... I believe that life is so fleeting that nothing is guaranteed. And whatever you're going to do, if God's been moving on your heart, there's a reason why He's been moving on your heart. And everything about this life is so fleeting that it could be taken away in a moment. It could be stripped away. And and, and we better not get such a death grip on it that we do not... Uh, yield it on the altar to God and say, God, I'm just a steward. I'm just blessed to be an overseer. But God, You're the one that has supplied. You're the one that has given. You're the one that has blessed And so, therefore, I don't want to be stingy. I don't want to be selfish with my talents. I don't want to be selfish with my time. I want to be selfish with my money. I want to be selfish with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want to get it out there because we have a limited amount of time, and there's a whole lot of souls that need to hear this gospel. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. So this leads me really to my first point in order... For us to reach souls, we must take the focus off of ourselves. As long as we are consumed with our own needs and wants and desires, we'll never be able to fulfill the purpose of God. We remain, when we stay self-focused, we remain needy. When we stay self-focused, we remain wanting. When we stay self-focused, we will remain hungry and unfulfilled and empty. Jesus taught this in John chapter number 12 and verse 24. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. It abideth alone. That right there is a perfect depiction of selfishness. It abideth alone, unwilling to yield, unwilling to surrender, unwilling to fulfill its purpose. Every seed, every seed, its purpose is to be planted. Its purpose is to be reproducing. Its purpose is to bring forth much fruit. Its purpose is not just to exist I read somewhere, and probably you've read it or heard this example before, uh, about corn that was laid up in the tombs of of Pharaoh or in those uh, tombs over there in Egypt. And when they went in and uh, they discovered these ears of corn, they wondered after all of these years, centuries have went by, thousands of years, uh, this corn has been there entombed. And it has done nothing. It's just laid there dormant. And they took it and they planted a portion of it to see if it still had life in that seed. And to their amazement, to their amazement, there was still life there. It was withheld from reproducing. And then somebody put math to it and done the arithmetic and thought, I wonder if this had been planted instead of entombed all these many years what the production of it would have been over time if that seed had produced more seed and that seed had been planted and it had produced more and more and more and how much corn just by one uh, kernel of corn being withheld and not serving its purpose, uh, what lack it caused and, and uh, how much potential was lost. And it was amazing. I don't remember the exact figure, but it was amazing Uh, what could have been but for all of this time it was in a safe place nothing that happened to it. it it still had potential it still had its its power within it but it it was just resting there dormant because it was not put to the use that it was supposed to be it was supposed to be placed in the ground Uh, The child of God is not to be just uh, uh, bubble wrapped in a church somewhere, but the child of God thrives in the harvest field. The child of God, their needs are met when they get out in the work of the Lord. Amen? And, uh, you know, we we cannot just become isolationist in our thought and in our mindset of just, just me and mine and just my family and my, you know what? God will honor the prayers that we have for our own children and family members that are lost if we'll get out and work and try and endeavor to win somebody else's children and somebody else's loved one and somebody else's lost husband and somebody else's lost wife and somebody else's neighbor and somebody else's co-worker. Then God will provide opportunities in the prayers that we've been praying for our own needs. Amen. Amen. I never shall forget a preacher a friend of mine who had a, a backslidden daughter. It was his only daughter. And, and they were basically overwhelmed with sorrow because of her leaving the church, and especially in the manner in which she did. And, and his wife was like, what are we going to do? And he said, I don't know exactly how this is all going to play out. But he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. And uh, he said, we're going to throw ourselves in the work of God. We're going to keep reaching. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep loving people that will allow us to and keep ministering to people that will allow us to. And, uh, and we're going to believe God that he's going to move on her. But we're going to do what we can for the kingdom of God. And that man at this very day has one of the greatest apostolic churches that there is in the apostolic movement, a a church that is known for a revival and increase and souls constantly coming in. Why? Because there was a man that said, you know what, I'm not going to get consumed by selfish desires. I'm not going to allow... Uh, a setback or discouragement or disappointment or somebody that walks away keep me from doing the ultimate will of God and that is being involved and and, and reaching out to souls and trying my best to, to minister to people because that is the purpose and that is the call of every one of us it's not just the preacher's call it's not just those that are called into the ministry's call it's everybody that's here it's all encompassing when you got the Holy Ghost, the Bible said you've got the power to become a witness. You've got a testimony of God's greatness. You've got a testimony how God can move and work. Many of you in this place have been healed. You can testify of His healing. Many of you in this place have seen miraculous things happen in your life. You need to get out and testify about that and tell somebody about it because there's many people in this world that need healing. There's many people in this world that need deliverance. There's people in this world that are bound. There's people in this world that need help and they're depending on us to get the word to them that it can happen. Amen. They they work alongside you. They're around you, but they need to know the depths of where God brought you from. Because sometimes, you know, sinners can look at a saint of God after they've been living for the Lord for some time and think, "You know what? They're beyond me. They never you know they've never been where I'm at they don't know how I feel they can't identify with me how do they they can't relate with what I'm going through and what I'm facing in life and so us being able to share with them where God has brought us from and what he's done for us and that we too have faced these same things you know empathy is a big thing being able to empathize you never want to get to the place in life that you 're not able to empathize with people that means put yourself in their shoes that doesn 't mean pity that doesn 't mean that you know that doesn 't mean just feel sorry for, but that means being willing to put yourself in their shoes and help them you know it 's easy to say when a brother comes to you and, and says uh, you know i 've got this need uh, doctor has told me that I have uh, leukemia. I'm just pulling this out of thin air. I've been diagnosed with a brain tumor. And 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 of course, there's nothing that we can do but pray for somebody in that situation. And we say, oh brother, I'm going to pray. And we mean it sincerely. And we imagine in our hearts what it would be like to be in that condition. And we Pray for them earnestly, and then somebody comes and says, "Brother, uh, you know what? I don't get paid till Friday, and uh, and uh, I'm running low on gas." And we said, "Well, we'll pray for you. <laughs> we can do something about that tank of gas, can't we?" Not everybody hit me up after church for a tank of gas. Now there's a lot of folks that go around here. I get hit up pretty regularly. So uh, I'm ready to spread it out a little bit. <laughs> Amen. I'm ready to give my burden to other folks. Amen. So what I'm saying is, is there's sometimes that when we're able to do something, we don't do something. It doesn't have to be a tank of gas. I'm just using that, as, and that's probably a poor example, but I'm just using that as an illustration to tell you that there is some things that we can do. And empathizing with people, and we can make a difference, and we need to do the things that we can do and make a difference where we can make a difference. Can you say, Praise the Lord? That's what being a, a true Christian is is all about. And you can sit back and say, Well, everybody's got the same opportunities that I've got. Everybody, everybody can do the same thing I've done. Well, I don't know that you I don't know that you can prove that. Some people are born on third base and think they hit a triple, you know, and just assume that everybody else has the same opportunities that they've had. Not everybody's had the same opportunities you've had. Amen? And that's why when we come to the house of God, when we come to the kingdom of God and we're born again of water and of spirit and we come to the kingdom of God, it gives people a chance To come and to be empowered. The Holy Ghost is more than just a ticket to heaven, folks. The Holy Ghost is empowerment to really make a difference in the world and be a different person and be productive as a person. Amen. I, I've known people, you've known people, they didn't have two cents to rub together when they came to God, but suddenly they got a work ethic, and suddenly they, they begin to learn some things, and they got a hold of some things that would help them, and God gave them wisdom of how to make right decisions and choices concerning their finances, and and uh, instead of living hand to mouth, God began to bless them because they began uh, to to uh, give the Lord uh, their tithe and their offering As they begin to, uh, as they started out small, they they were faithful in the small things. And God said, because they were ruled well in these small things, I'm going to make them ruler over some more things. And I'm going to bless them. That's how the kingdom of God works. But it starts with us, amen, being willing to give people an opportunity and empathize with them and say, hey, this will add to your life. This will make your life more complete. This will make your life more fulfilled. Amen. Praise God. Because it's impossible for people to be productive in society if they're addicted. It's impossible for people to really be productive in society if they're constantly dealing with anger and they have no ability to get along with others and, and they're bound by hostilities and things that are pinned up within them. But when they get down in an altar and they get the joy of the Holy Ghost, they start seeing people differently. They start acting differently. They, they start becoming able to get along with their co-workers. And, and they become attractive to their employers. Instead of a repellent, Amen. And I'm just—this is just a little Christianity 101 here. But this is—this is what living for God is about. Sometimes we think of the church and living for God as—is as this separate deal over here, and we put it in this column over here that says that—that's my spiritual thing over there, and that doesn't have anything to do with the rest of my life. I'm going to tell you this has everything to do with your life, every part of your life, every decision that you make every choice that you're involved in. The Bible said we walk in the Spirit. Paul talked about it on a daily basis, walking in the Spirit. And he said the only way I can do that is to crucify my flesh. So I've got to get out of just me and mine and what I want. Now I've got to get into the kingdom of God. And so as long as it's there, it bides alone. But if it dies, You know, sometimes my small dreams have to die so God's big dream can be fulfilled. Sometimes my little concept of things has to die so that God's bigger concept of things can be fulfilled. You get what I'm saying? God has a bigger plan sometimes. When our plans don't go through and we think, well, this is what I got planned out in this way, I'd like to see it happen, and, and, and then we have to come to an altar and realize that may not be the will of God. Perhaps God's got something bigger that he wants to do in your life. So reproduction requires sacrifice. You say, praise the Lord. And that's even true in the natural. And I, I, uh, A woman, when she becomes a mother, has to sacrifice. Sacrifice comfort, of course. And uh, sacrifice a measure of beauty. Nine months of carrying a burden. And then of course the travail of of childbirth, and I'm I'm detailing this kind of like bullet points, like it's nothing, but I'm telling you it's a big deal for every mother that is here. You know it's a big deal. And once the child is born, that's when the real work begins. The inconveniences, caring for, the treatment of wounds and nurturing and Cooking meals and supporting and training. Child's definition of love is time. Being an example to our children is one of our responsibilities. Children learn more from what they see than what they're told. Example is important. And new converts. I'm relating all of this to new converts. New converts learn more from what they see and feel and experience than they do from just what they're told. Amen. They need to see an example of prayer. Again, I've talked a little bit in our announcements about people in prayer and how that they may not know how to pray. We just assume people know how to pray, especially those of us that are raised in church, and I put myself in that category. I've had people when I was traveling ask me, you know, where do I start? I mean, how do I talk to God? I mean, I've never done this. You're going to have to instruct me. You're going to have to help me. And at first, it was kind of foreign to me because I was raised up from a small boy anyway in the church from the age of about four or five when my parents got in the church. I was raised up around it. And so that's all I ever knew. And I just assumed everybody knew how to pray. And, and, but we have to to be patient with people and instruct people and tell people that they don't have to have a King James English prayer to get through to God. They've got to have an honest heart to get through to God. And when they come, uh, God's not concerned about how big a words and how many joints the words got in them and how many syllables they got in them. But God's concerned about the condition of their heart and the humility of their heart when they approach Him. And then they need to understand worship. And they need to see an example of true worship. And and you know we could discuss the differences between praise and worship, but but worship is a depth that we enter into that is beyond praise. We're God, we're really connecting with God. And uh, that's that's when the spirit of the Lord is moving in a church service and people are connecting with their worship to God and as we begin to worship God, they may not completely understand that but they can feel something if it's honest-hearted worship if it's sincere worship if it's true worship and the bible does talk about true worship it says they that worship him must worship him a true worshiper uh, must worship him in spirit and in truth and that spirit there is not big ass as in the holy spirit a holy ghost is speaking about our spirit being engaged and totally uh, involved in it. In other words, uh, you you cannot be worshiping God and be uh, thinking about Taco Bell. You cannot be worshiping God and your spirit be given to something out here in the world and consumed with something out here in the world. But the only way you can truly worship God as you need to is for your spirit to be involved in it. Uh, That means totally given to it. Uh, That means enthusiastic about it. Uh, That means passionate about it. It may be with tears uh, and it may be with shouting. But whatever it is you're responding to the Holy Ghost, to the Spirit of God. Your spirit is connecting with Him. And through that it, it gives way to true worship then it talks about the truth uh, the truth Uh, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth amen there's a lot of folks that are proclaiming worship to God and talking about worship that they're giving to the Lord I'm not certain that it really qualifies as true worship I believe they're sincere. I believe they're endeavoring to do what they know to be right. And and God rewards that, the honesty and the sincerity of it, I believe. But there's nobody that can worship God like somebody that has a revelation of the truth of His Word. Has a revelation of whom they're worshiping. First of all, that they're not just—they're not worshiping uh, uh, some fictitious uh, understanding of the Godhead, but they're worshiping the true and the living God, whose name is Jesus. Hallelujah, there's something powerful about that. When you have the understanding that you know who He is, that He's not Jehovah Junior, He's not the second person in the Trinity, but He's, uh, amen, everything that God is, uh, is in Jesus Christ. The Bible said, ye are complete in Him. Hallelujah. And so when we begin to worship Him, there's nobody that can get His attention like somebody from the sincerity of their heart that has an understanding of who He is and that's been baptized in His name. Begin to lift up their voice and connect with Him and worship Him. There's something that transpires. There's something that happens. Hallelujah. And that's why people can say, I feel something like I never felt before. I sense something like what I've been looking for. This is what I've been hungry to receive. This is what I've had an appetite to get. This is what I've been wanting. What is that? I'll tell you what that is. That's somebody connecting through their spirit to the Spirit of God and worshiping the true and living God with all their heart. And we can talk about worship in terms of evangelism. Let me just say this. When we worship God, it's, it's not only an obligation or response. It's kind of like one of those things like why would we ask if it's a requirement? Because it's such, it brings such joy and brings such blessing to our lives to be able and privileged to worship the Lord. We shouldn't we shouldn't have to be prodded we should not have to be encouraged a whole lot to do it we should not have to be inspired nobody has to strum the right note nobody should have to say the right thing nobody should have to quote the right scripture nobody should have to come with a with the right thing that that gets us going and uh, our candy stick and our likes or whatever but when we come to the house of God it should be the desire of our heart uh, to want to connect with him that created us uh, him that is able to satisfy us as no one else or anything else is and when we come into the presence of the Lord it should be our desire to worship him but when we do amen it goes beyond just us when his presence comes and manifests itself it's recognizable to everybody else that is around us I need to sure that one up because some of you don't believe that. Amen. But the Bible tells me, it tells me in instances in the Scripture when people begin to worship the Lord and things begin to happen that people around them were impacted by it. Amen. You ever read Acts 16 where Paul and Silas were singing and praising the Lord at midnight and as they did... I believe they connected to something there because there was an earthquake in the prison house and the doors came open and the chains fell off of them. And the Bible said the prisoners hurt them. That's right. And there was there was a guard there that said, wait a minute. I think I'll just kill myself because I've been laid. And my responsibility was to take care of you. It's been laid upon me the burden to make sure you didn't break loose. And he said, wait just a minute. Don't do yourself any harm. He said, the same God that's ministering right here in our situation and helping us can help you. And the Bible says as a result of their worshiping God and their praising the Lord and getting connected in the Spirit. The Bible says that not only were they set free, but before it was over with, that the jailer and his whole household was baptized, and they were saved and set free. I'm telling you, worship goes beyond just you. It affects others. Amen. It sets an atmosphere in which others can be saved in. Can you say praise the Lord to that? Why don't somebody raise their hands and let's worship him together, right? So it requires, it requires of us some sacrifice. Amen. Worship does. Worship, you can't separate worship from sacrifice. Talking about it being an example. Faithfulness to the house of God. I don't want to run a good message here, but uh, this is very important. People will see how much we love God by how much we attend. People see how important this is by how much we prioritize it in our own lives, and uh, that that just in your own children do, your own family members do, and you know we can excuse and we can make all kinds of things. Uh, Work as example. Uh, We can get a a afternoon sickness that turns into a miraculous healing before morning, when when it's time to go to work. It's quiet, but I'll stand up here all by myself and preach this because this is the truth. It's amazing to me in this church particularly how many people celebrate sickness. It's almost like man, I got a oh. it's amazing. I don't want to get off on this too much because I do believe that there's there's often uh you know uh, credible needs and I don't want to I'm not throwing off on that at all and I'm not minimizing that and I certainly empathize with it. And I've been sick and I know what it is to be sick. And God forbid that I have sickness. I don't want sickness and I'm not getting up here making light of sickness. But you know, come on folks, when 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 you're sick in the evening and you're healed by morning and it's just all the time come on there's a there's a practice of this there's a routine of this there's something going on here that isn't just exactly right you're not being a very good example is what i'm trying to say and i will move on that was the flyover but it had to be said it was my goodness and again i'm not uh, you know i'm 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 preaching to a choir here tonight, so I should just wait until Sunday. But you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna bring this up in front of guests. So the only time I can catch anybody is in front of guests. And so I feel so bad to say anything to the church or correct the church in front of guests because I don't want them to get the wrong impression. Uh, but you know, sometimes you just gotta say it. And the church said amen. And our attitude, our attitude. And uh, our conversation—you know—some people's tongue needs a driver's license because they, they just can't get control of it. And, and you know that is a part of evangelism, folks. When we're all the time, you know, why it's so quiet in here is because this is so right, because I'm so on it. That's why it's so quiet in here is because this is needed. Come on, folks. You, you, you shouldn't air out dirty laundry you shouldn't talk things and, and you can't you can't say well they, they're like me they've been around church a long time so I can talk this with them. No. You know there's some things that are better to take to the prayer closet. There's some things that are better to talk to God about. We don't need anybody else pushing anyone else down or bringing up anybody else's problem we got enough problems of our own to pray about. I know I do. I got enough issues and problems and situations and and things that I need God to work in. I don't. I don't. I don't need to be focused on anybody else's problems and straighten anybody. I, you know, it's not. You know, I. I. I don't feel like that's any one of us's jurisdiction to worry about. How somebody else runs their family and what they do and whether we like it or not. That's not our business. We take care of our own. Amen. I don't, I don't need to be meddling with anybody else's problems. Uh, amen. Because I may create more than what I can deal with myself. I just want to take care of me being saved. I want to take care of me staying right and, and ministering to people and encouraging people. People don't need us to talk about them. People need us to encourage them. Amen. Be an encourager. Tell them, hey, you're doing good. You may not be perfect, but none of us uh, have, have got perfection down just yet. Amen. And I'm not I'm not trying to say that you compliment somebody when they're sinning. I'm not saying that. But I'm telling you, compliment them where they're doing good and where they're, where they're, they're coming out ahead and where it seems like they're making progress. Accentuate so what you can that is good in their lives. And I promise you that you will be a ministry of encouragement to them that will bless them them and help them to, to not only make it through a rough patch in their life, uh, but if they can receive sometimes just a word of encouragement or a compliment, let somebody know that there's there's care here, there's concern here, there's love here. And because of this, I think I can make it another day. I think I got somebody there that's praying for me and cheering me on. I think I can make it. Hallelujah. Praise God. So I'm talking about evangelism on this level, amen. Because it doesn't stop when somebody gets the Holy Ghost; it starts there. I say, "Well, we already got them on the stringer, and then you went and go on somebody else." No, that's where it starts, and you got to nurture people, keep people encouraged, because you know. I was just reminded of this yesterday, reading, and I may be giving up a, a good sermon here, but anyway, where, where Jezebel said, tomorrow, tomorrow, I'm going to get you, Elijah. I always wonder, why didn't she say today? She was mad right then. Why didn't she say, right now, I'm fixing to get you. But she even she realized that he's coming down off the mountain. And he's in. He's basking in the glory of God. I, I can't. I can't touch him today. I can't get a hold of him today. I, I know better than to try to attack him today. But tomorrow, he, he's not going to be on the mountain. He's not going to be close to the altar. He's not going to be seeing the fire fall. He's not going to be there in the presence of the Lord like he is now. And that will make him an easier target. And so, when somebody gets the Holy Ghost and somebody gets a breakthrough. You know, they, they can be on cloud nine for a little while, but the devil, he's pretty strategic. He comes around, and they have a couple of setbacks, and then he jumps on their back at that time starts condemning them. And that's when they need somebody to come in and support them. That's when they need somebody to lift up their hands and encourage them. That's when they need somebody to give them a phone call or a text or encourage them when it comes to the things of God. Praise the Lord. And so we, we need to understand that. Soul winning requires sensitivity. Sensitivity. Somebody say sensitivity. You know, there's a time when the door is open and there's a time when it's a season for that particular person. Farmers, harvesters of any kind, they understand seasons. They understand you can't go out and harvest a certain crop prematurely. If you do, it's just going to bring everything. All your efforts and everything will be of waste. But they also know you can't wait too long. And so you've got to be sensitive to the voice of God to be a soul winner. And when God prompts your heart, now I believe we ought to invite and try with everybody, but you'll feel that gentle nudge when it's time to lean in a little bit more and time to get a little bit more in depth about it. Press in a little bit further and uh, be sensitive to that. Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. And he came in contact at a particular time of day. He intersected with this lady that was in need. I must needs go through Samaria. He felt a compulsion to do so. And it's an example to us. And then in Acts 16... The Bible says that Paul essayed to go to Bithynia, but the spirit suffered him not. And he was wondering, you know, this is, this seems like the logical thing to do. There's souls over there. That's where I want to go next. And that night, a vision came to him. And he saw a man of Macedonia who said, come over into Macedonia and help us. And so he responded. We also find a time in the scripture, I think it's in 2nd or 1st Corinthians 16, where He said to the Corinthians, he said, I want to come and be with you. I want to visit you. I want to see you. But he said, I must tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door and effectual has been opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. So what is he saying? He's saying right now is the season for me to stay right here in Ephesus and win souls, and that's what I'm going to do, being sensitive. Soul winning requires... A person to be studied or prepared. Acts chapter 8, Philip was directed by the Lord to the desert of Gaza. got down there and there was a man reading the scripture, an Ethiopian. And he said, understand what you're reading. He said, how can I accept some man should guide me? And the Bible said at that same scripture. He was reading out the book of Isaiah and he was reading the prophet's words about foretelling uh, about jesus coming to this world and being the sacrificial lamb for our sins and he said i i, I don't get this i don't understand he began at that same scripture wonder wonder if he'd have said well give me a, give me a week and i'll look up this and i'll study it a little bit and i'll come back and and i'll i'll try to i'll try to clarify that for you i don't even i've never read that before but he was able to pick up right there because he knew the Word of God and preached to him Jesus. And as a result, this man was baptized, the Bible said, just a little while longer, and he was, he was saved. And, and, uh, and this is, this is something that, that happened because of a man being prepared and studied. Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. We ought not to say, well, Somebody ask us, and I'm not talking about if they ask you some question about eschatology that is debatable in the first place. And and, uh, I'm talking about when it comes to the essentials, we ought to know them. We ought to have them down. We ought to be able to give an answer. But I'm not asking for for people to be theologians and Bible scholars in areas like that. But when it comes to the essentials, we ought to understand. We ought to be able to give an answer. And so we need to be studied. But soul winners also, and you can stand with me. Soul winners also must stay encouraged. Stay encouraged. Jesus instructed his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Really the implication here is, is, Don't allow this to affect you as you go to the next place. Don't allow this no or this rejection to affect your future potential in winning souls. Don't let it get in your head, in other words. Shake it off immediately. You know, there's some things in our walk with God that we need to shake off immediately. Don't let it cling to you. Don't let it, because the longer it is able to cling to you, The more potential for it to get inside you and become a part of you and the way you think, and doubts will start invading your mind. He said, Don't even worry about that. Let it go because I sent you forth. And just as he said to the prophets of old, he said, They have not rejected you, but they've rejected me. I'm sending you out. And I'm going to go with you. And so you just understand you're my ambassador. You lead the results department up to me. You just go and do my work. I'm going to tell you, I can't raise a fly and I can't heal in that. But I know a God that can. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to do his will. I'm going to invite people. I'm going to do my best. And I'm going to let him do the things that I can't do. You believe that? Praise God. And then in Luke chapter number 10 and verse 16. Whosoever heareth you, heareth me. Somebody said, well, I don't want to pressure nobody. And, and I, I understand. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. And I understand using wisdom. The Bible said he that wins souls is wise. If you're going to win a soul, you're going to have to be wise and articulate things right and, and use wisdom in how you handle things. Don't come with a sledgehammer to Bible study. Well, I'm going to beat everything I know into them tonight, bless God. When they get up from here, bless God, they're going to know what we believe. Yes, sir. I'm fixing to give them the whole comstock load tonight. That's not wise. That's not wise. You can only feed if somebody is hungry. Amen. You let God deal with them and that way when they lay things down on the altar and when they start cleaning up their life and they start adjusting their lifestyle uh, to live for God, it'll mean a whole lot more when God dealt with them rather than them trying to just impress you because that won't last very long. Because sooner or later they're going to see some discrepancy with you and they're going to say, well, all that was for naught. But when God deals with them, and they lay it on the altar because God dealt with them. Then it becomes a conviction of their heart. And so be wise in how you handle things. But at the same time, don't be afraid to lean into a situation when God is prompting you to do so. Are you still with me? Because we may not have. You know, God may be dealing with us to talk to somebody and it may be because they have a limited amount of time. Uh, I've seen examples where I preach people the one and only sermon that they ever heard in an apostolic church setting. Only opportunity they had. And you say, well, I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. And all I can think about is I wonder how uncomfortable they are now. I don't I don't want I don't want to have to face the rejection of them saying no if I ask them to come to the altar. Well, I have to deal with the regret of maybe not doing enough to reach them and to see them saved. I want to win souls and let God use me. And so I want his wisdom, and I need him to prompt me and I need him to deal with me and I need him to speak to me, and he will if we'll stay open to it. If it's your desire to be used of God and everybody's not used the same way and everybody's not used in the same capacity. Some people are good at going out and dealing with people one-on-one in a setting like that. And and don't be dismissive and say, well, uh, when I say that not everybody else, say, well, that's me. That's my category. I, I've never been good at that. And and be dismissive and say, well, that's that's because I don't want to. Don't excuse yourself like that. But... But honestly, there's people that can carry a burden of intercessory prayer. There's people, there's people that can witness to folks that they do know and have a relationship with. And, and what I'm saying is, is that everybody here has an obligation in some way to reach out to souls and be conscious of the fact that they're around us on a daily basis and stay encouraged because, you know, no matter if you received a no at one point, you know situation may arise in a person's life where things are different now and they need God. And there may be a seed planted that you need to come along and water. And then in time, God's going to bring it to fruition. So I'd ask you to come. Let's come around this altar here tonight before we leave.